Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, hey, and welcome back. This episode, we're going to be talking about something. I'm not sure exactly what to title it yet. I've been struggling with that. But I want to talk about basically all the phases of a fight. Uh, of a self-defense situation, of being confronted, um, whether it's intent of doing bodily harm or killing you, or even uh, social violence, just getting into a fight. And before we get into all of that, and again, I don't know what I'm going to title this yet, but I want to talk about all of this today, so bear with us. Uh, We'll get through it, um, and I hope you'll have some good takeaways. But before we get started, I have to acknowledge and give my buddy credit for this. He's been, I won't say bugging me, but let's just say for some time now, if not a couple of years or better, my very good friend, Tony, who I actually graduated high school with back in the day. We met in 10th grade. I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but suffice it to say, he and I have been friends for a very long time. And we've, you know, shared a lot of stories and talked through a lot of different things in the personal safety space and self-defense and martial arts. We've had a lot of conversations between the two of us over the years, certainly. But one of the questions that he asked me, which is the genesis of this particular podcast, and he, he couldn't do this with me. He's a very busy boy. Uh, schedules constantly got him tied up. But anyway, I told him I would do this on his behalf. So thank you, Tony, for this. But his question that he's asked me a number of times over the years, at least three or four, is how do you know when it's time to go? How do you know when it's time to go? Meaning by to go, that's kind of guy speak, right? It's how do you know when to throw that first punch? How do you know when it's time you need to be getting out of there? But specifically, how do you know when it's your turn to throw the first punch, kick, whatever, you know, things about to go down. And, you know, you may or may not have heard this before, but a lot of the times he who gets the first shot in wins, right? But Tony's always asked me, you know, how do you know when it's time to go? And I thought about that and I've kind of put off having the discussion because it's multifaceted and this is why in and of itself, it's very easy to answer uh, when to go. Uh, There's some telltale signs. uh, And of course, in the moment you are ultimately responsible for you and your actions, you have to still make even in the heat of the moment. You still have to make good decisions, but you are responsible. But, you know, there are some telltale signs, some indicators that the aggressor or the person that you're dealing with is giving you to let you know that things might be getting ready to go down. And and not even we don't even have to talk about tools coming out, knives coming out or guns talking out. We're just generally talking about body languages and behaviors and actions that the other person is exhibiting that's probably going to be a pretty good indicator for you if if you're paying attention so i told tony i said well if if we did a podcast on that it would be very short there's a pretty good list of things that already exist you can go look up and It'll tell you things to be on the lookout for and things you need to be noting and paying attention to should you find someone in your personal space and or just outside your personal space and you feel like things are getting ready to go down. That's a very short conversation. 
What we really need to talk about are all the things that have gone wrong to get you up to that point. And it's not that you've done something wrong necessarily, but there's a lot of things that have gone wrong or that were missing that allowed you to find yourself in a situation where you've got a, you know, maybe they're angry, maybe they're hopped up on drugs, maybe they have some mental issues going on, maybe they're a predator that's been following you some time, you can't quite place them, whatever the reason is that they're in your personal space or very close to you and have a beef with you seemingly, there's a lot of things that go down. And so I told him, I said, Those are the things that we really need to be talking about. The good news is, is that we've covered a few of them or most of them over the course of our other podcasts. And I recommend you going back and listening to those. In fact, I'll tell you now, um, we're going to be talking about situational awareness today, but we talked about that with um, Kelly Sayre of the Diamond Arrow Group back at back at podcast 25 Uh, situational awareness and more we talked about uh, de-escalation with randy king of randy king live back in podcast 40 and then one that i have a near and dear spot for in my heart is uh, thinking through scenarios and what if ask yourself what would you do in a given situation right create whatever it is And that podcast is number 26. So podcast 25, 26, and then 40, I think will all dovetail nicely into this topic today. And it's those early things that maybe have gone wrong or something isn't right that's allowed us to find ourselves in a bad situation with someone in or near our personal space that appears to be potentially wanting to start a fight or do us harm of some sort. And then I told Tony, I said, you know, the other thing that we need to think through is not just the before stuff and how so important that is, but we also need to talk about some things you need to consider in the aftermath because that's just as important, whether it's rendering the person aid if you've hurt them. Uh, it's calling 911. It's, uh, you know, preparing for a legal battle potentially. And that's something that a lot of folks I don't think are thinking about and not saying that you should or that you would or even could in the moment. But we're going to talk about all of these different phases. But the genesis of, of it all is how do I know when it's time to go? And while that sounds like a macho fighting thing, it's really appropriate for everyone. So don't think this has a narrow audience. Um, Before we get into it, there was a quote. And if you follow us on Instagram, you've probably seen it more recently. But it's a quote that Sun Tzu said, and I'm almost certain it came from his book, The Art of War. It seems like most every quote we see from Sun Tzu comes from his book, The Art of War. But I thought it was very appropriate to what we were going to talk about in this episode. His quote is, he will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. I'm going to read that one more time. He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. And I've got another quote I'll share with you towards the end of the podcast, but I thought that was a great one to start with. And, um, you know, it's certainly a lesson that I've learned or I think that I've learned over the years of training. What little bit of training I've done over the years is that the more you know about fighting, the less you want to get into a fight. Uh, And I think there's not a truer statement to be made. 
So how do we know when it's time to go? Well, let's talk about some things that might have gone amiss. You may have missed out on or just didn't go the way they may, might have, should have uh, to begin with. And as I mentioned, we've talked about these before, and you can go back and listen to, what is it Did I tell you, uh, Podcast 25 for a little bit deeper dive into situational awareness. But what is situational awareness? We hear so much about it in the personal safety space. It's almost ad nauseum, and sometimes there's better descriptions for it than ever, and then people think, think it's about becoming paranoid you know, anytime you're outside your home, and that's simply just not the case. The the I don't know I don't claim that it's an original definition, but the simplest definition situational awareness is just simply paying attention to what's going on around you and who's around you. That's as simple as it is. And if we take that a step further, it's recognizing anomalies. It's recognizing things that don't seem normal or that are out of place. So I'm in an environment, whether it's the grocery store, a restaurant, a school, since schools keep coming up in the news for different bad things. Uh, it's simply paying attention. Who's coming? Who's going? What they're wearing? What they look like? Are they fidgeting? Do they seem out of place? Are they sweating? Are they wearing a trench coat in an, on a 95-degree summer heat day? Whatever it may be, it's about paying attention to our surroundings when we're out and about. And this applies to our homes, too. Now, when we're in our homes, not so much, but certainly when we're outside, whether it's doing yard work. I mean, I, I have to make myself think about paying attention to those around me and, uh, because I wear hearing protection when I'm mowing my yard, for example. So, But it's really about getting in the habit of simply taking note of things that are going on, on around you. Um, you know, you've lived in your neighborhood for however long you have. You've probably already subconsciously are aware of what cars drive past your driveway that live further back in or deeper in the neighborhood than where you are. You probably already are picking up when a new vehicle seems out of place and you don't recognize it as driving by your driveway in the past. These are things that we probably already do or we do already do and we just haven't given it a label or paid much attention to it. Uh, for whatever reason, because it is such a subconscious activity that we participate in. But situational awareness is simply paying attention to what's going on around us, who is around, and then looking for things that seem out of place or just that aren't quite right or aren't part of the normal routine of things. And again, I'm not going to do a super deep dive on that because we talked about it with Kelly back in podcast 25, and I would invite you to listen to that and the other two that I previously mentioned. Situational awareness is kind of the precursor to being able to avoid things, right? Not in all cases. And look, situational awareness, is again, I'm going to say it again, is not about being paranoid. Being prepared is different than being paranoid. Paranoia is something else. That's not something I encourage. Plus, it's extremely exhausting, and that's not what we're looking at. By, excuse me, by the same token, this isn't about 
worrying about 100% of the time. It's impossible for you to be on point 100% of the time. The point of this is to tell you to be looking to do it and be making a conscious effort to become more aware of your surroundings and those that are in your surroundings than not. Um, no one can do it 100% of the times. I can't tell you how many times I've had people suddenly come up behind me and I, I didn't catch them. I didn't know they were there. I can't tell you how many times cars have passed by and I didn't see them coming up. So there's no way to do it 100% of the time. It's just about getting in the mindset that that's what you need to be thinking about when you're outside your home. And again, that's kind of a setup for this next one, and that's avoiding potentially bad things. Or when you see bad things happening, get out. We live in the age of social media. Everybody wants to pull out their phones and take pictures and film. Okay, if you can do that safely and you're out and away from whatever's happening and you're not just uh, suffering the bystander effect where you're frozen and you're doing what the group's doing and group think and all of that stuff, great, because you know there might need to be some evidence documented and that's not a bad thing. What we're talking about is filming and taking pictures for the, for the thirst trapping on social media, right? That's inappropriate and, and it's a safety hazard for yourself, but Avoiding potentially bad areas or situations when you're aware of them ahead of time. If I'm not aware of them ahead of time, it makes it much more difficult to avoid, right? Would you, would you agree with that? That's kind of common sense. But what do we mean by avoiding things? Well, let's say you find yourself in a bar uh, late one evening and, and a fight breaks out it probably would behoove you just to leave that bar and go home. You probably don't need to be out that late anyway. They say nothing good happens past midnight. Yes, I've been out past midnight many times in my life, including recently. Okay, you're not going to change the way you live. But the point being is, as a fight breaks out, it's good to avoid that situation and just leave the bar and go home or find the next bar or restaurant that's still open where you can finish up your drinks or your conversation that you're having with your friends. Another example of avoiding, and we've talked about this before, is don't go to the gas station alone after dark. That's avoiding. Don't go to the ATM by yourself after dark. I mean, these places can be dangerous potentially, even in broad daylight, but there's just some basic rules that allow you to avoid potentially bad situations. So don't go to the gas station uh, after dark alone. Don't go to the ATM after dark alone. Uh, don't go down that dark alley when you can't see what's down there. And even though it's a great shortcut to get to the parking lot where you're parked, Especially if you see questionable characters down there, you're not sure what's going on in said dark alley, take the extra hundred yard walk. You probably need it anyway. It's not going to help. It's not going to hurt. And look, if there's nothing going on in that dark alley, you don't need to be bypassing through a dark alley anyway. You took the long way around. You got yourself a little bit of exercise. And who cares if there was nothing in that dark alley to worry about? You just saved yourself a, a, a hassle. And if there was something potentially bad in that dark alley, you just avoided it by taking the longer route. Another thing to think about, and again, being able to avoid is knowing about things ahead of time. When we travel, becoming familiar with the parts of town we're going to be staying in, or when we travel to a 
another country, it's very important that we do our due diligence and our homework ahead of time to understand what we're going, where we're going, the cultural differences, but most importantly, the neighborhoods and where we're staying and what the reputation is. And, you know, with the power of the interwebs, it makes it very easy. For that matter, you can call the hotels that you're thinking about staying in and asking them for a general sense of atmosphere and environment where you're planning to go and stay in vacation. So all of these things we can do to avoid a potentially bad situation. Another might be having to raise our voice with the stranger, the bum approaching us at the gas station in broad daylight, asking us for directions, not allowing them to encroach into our personal space where our the risk factor potentially goes up for us, right? Being firm and, and brazen with our voice, right? We can't be concerned about, we don't want to be rude to them. If we're rude to them and they had no bad intent at all, they'll get over it. And hopefully they'll appreciate the fact that we were exercising our boundaries and stopped them in our track, in their tracks, hopefully. If they were, if they had bad intent, they know you're not someone to be trifled with and you're willing to call them out and bring attention to them, which bad guys never like. Another thing we could do to avoid, just as and I'm spitballing examples here as fast as I can think of them, but just to paint pictures for you, is when I do go to the gas station to get gas and I'm pumping gas, not standing between my car and the gas pump. That's comfortable and convenient, but it's a kill zone. And it doesn't mean you're going to get killed there all the time, but it's, it's a bad place to be because you're blocked in on at least two sides and probably technically three because you've got that hose coming across blocking you off from wherever. So don't stand between your car and the gas pump. I'm just trying to get you in the mindset. We already know things that we need to be avoiding. And if we find ourselves in a situation that's gone sideways, we need to get out. And that's really all avoiding is. Uh, and making the decision to leave. I remember very early on in my original martial arts career, if you want to call it that, um, one of my instructors asked the class a number of times uh, the trick question, what's your best defense? What's the number one defense? And I'll give spoiler alert here. The number one defense is running, right? Getting out in the way. Sometimes you can't, and we'll talk about that, but your number one defense is generally avoiding, and that involves running or at least walking and exiting the premises, so to speak. Okay, guys. Now, ladies, this applies to you too, whether you like it or not, but we always think of men and guys, especially college age, drinking age guys, uh, and others, uh, hotheads too, um, that have egos. And sometimes egos will get you in trouble. Sometimes egos will allow your mouth and even your mind to write checks that, as they say, your ass can't cash. So, men and women alike, keep those egos in check. Don't let the ego get the best of you, because sometimes when you do, that's going to get you in a situation, even if it is just a social uh, fight situation that's going to get you in a situation you may or may not be able to get yourself out of again. And I'll add this on and we've all done it, right? We've all been guilty of it. I think I don't, you know, maybe somebody hasn't 
you know, has been perfect about keeping themselves in check. But in addition to the ego, I will say, if you like to consider yourself a hothead or you have anger management issues or you've had therapy for anger issues, I always think of uh, anger management with Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler. Fantastic if you haven't seen it. But anyway, uh, some hysterical moments in there. But uh, anger is another one with ego that can get find you in trouble and sometimes getting yourself in more trouble than you're willing or able to deal with. And a friend of mine, I won't mention her name, but even recently she was telling me about this guy and I don't even remember what happened, but needless to say, it was a road rage incident. And I'm going to say as a sidebar note, you really need to avoid uh, doing uh, aggressive types of things in road rage scenarios because there's so much in, in today's society with the number of prescriptions and otherwise and people being out of work or transitioning between work, tough family situations, working at home remotely all the time, whatever it is, I would say now is as good of time, if not the best time there's ever been in recent history to avoid road rage. Uh, but my friend was telling me that someone else did something in traffic and it sounded like that individual was completely in the wrong and actually may have even been gunning for some sort of altercation on the roadway, which I don't have the mindset for. But she told me it got her upset, pissed her off, and she wound up flicking this gentleman off. And I said, you know, okay, fine, but you really got to keep that in check because today you don't know. Somebody might pull over and stick a gun in your face and shoot you in the head, you know, right? Whatever it is. So ego and anger management, ego in check and anger management in check, those are very important things for us to be doing to better avoid finding ourselves in a situation where we have to make the decision, is it time to go? Much like egos or egos being out of control is, a, is, you know, usually equated with men, intuition is something else we all need to do a better job of listening to for ourselves. And intuition is like a woman's superpower, right? The fact of the matter is, much like ego is to men, intuition is to women. But the fact of the matter is... Men have intuition, too. They have spidey senses, that gut sense, that gut feeling, whatever you want to refer to it as. When your intuition is telling you something, listen. When your intuition, your spidey senses, your gut feeling is telling you something, listen. If that means getting out of the grocery store, you can't explain it. You can't figure out why. You can't just put your finger on it just yet. You don't understand why you're feeling weird about things. Listen and get out. Maybe it turns out to be absolutely nothing. Oh, uh, guess what? You left the grocery store. You'll have to come back later. Big deal. Listen to your intuition. Men, this means you too. Listen to your intuition. Women, keep those egos and those hot tempers in check, right? This applies to everyone. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you're having to decide, now is it time for me to try to get out of here, which is what you should be thinking anyway. But when you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to decide, is it time for me to go yet or not, meaning to be the first to engage, 
These are all the things that have likely happened, or at least a combination of them, to find yourself in this situation. How did that guy get in your personal space without you noticing it? Clearly, you weren't practicing good situational awareness. If you walked by where the fight was going on and happened to bump shoulders with one of the guys that was a hothead in the fight, you know, was that the best practice of avoiding the situation? No. Maybe your mouth got ahead of you and you didn't keep your ego in check. Maybe you didn't listen to what your gut was telling you. Any combination of these things could have led you to that very precarious position of having to decide, hey, do I need to go now? Um, We've talked about this already in the context of avoiding, but just as a specifically to talk about it, your goal should be to get away and go home safe, not to uh, piggyback on any group's taglines or slogans, but your goal is to get home safe at the end of the day, no matter what. And I just said at the end of the day, which I hate saying, sorry about that, but you need to figure out and, and, you know, just as if not arguably more important than deciding when is it time to go when is it time for me to throw that first punch or hit him with the baseball bat which probably isn't a good idea just as important if not more important than that you need to be figuring out when it is time to do that best defense move remember what that is it's getting out it's running away right leaving the area leaving an area you know not to be too specific here Um, but yeah, uh, running away is legitimate and no one's going to think you're a coward. Again, if you're worried about that, get that ego back in check. Running away is legit. Um, whether you're a capable fighter or not getting away from a situation, leaving a situation, running away a situation, even walking away, just leaving wherever you are for the evening, for the day, whatever, and coming back later at some other time when it's better. All of this ties together, right? But you need to be making good, solid decisions ahead of time. And this is why I mentioned our podcast uh, 26, I believe it was, because thinking through scenarios, anybody that's thought through scenarios before they've happened, right or wrong, the best solution or not, which likely it may not be, it, it may not be even the right solution, but anyone that's taken time to think about the what ifs ahead of time is always better prepared than the person that hasn't given a single thought to it. So I encourage you to go back and listen to podcast 26 on the importance of thinking through scenarios and asking yourself the what ifs, because that's going to help you put all of these pieces together and understand how at the end of the day, they real and I said it again, uh, how they work together. Situational awareness helps you avoid keeping your ego in check and listening to your intuition helps you also avoid. And that's what it's all about. And the last subject, and not that all of these are in any particular order, I think situational awareness and paying attention to our surroundings is probably the foundation and first and foremost. But the last one on the list, and again, this is pretty important, and it may not be the last one on the list, just depending on where the altercation happens, but learning how to verbally de-escalate a situation, keeping your body uh, language neutral. Sure, you might have your hands out in front of you, but they need to be lower and non-aggressive, right? But learning to be learning the art of de-escalation. And again, we talked about de-escalation and 
podcast 40 which was a fantastic episode with randy king uh, we did a deep dive into what de-escalation looks like but i will tell you on at a high level it is about actively listening keeping your ego in check and not doing anything to further provoke the individual or individuals that you're dealing with or the situation you're dealing with at hand. Because again, learning that de-escalation skills, those de-escalation skills is only going to help you be able to leave the situation that you're dealing with, right? The goal of de-escalation isn't to have it turn into a fight. That's the opposite of what we're trying to do. But learning that active listening skills trying to avoid saying no or not making sure they're they feel like they're being heard being non-aggressive in our body language all of these things count and so before you find yourself in a situation of having to decide whether or not how do you know when it's time to go those are the things paying attention avoiding bad situations when you know about them ahead of time keeping your ego in check keeping that hot temper in check listening to your gut listening to your intuition running away as soon as you have an opportunity run away from a bad situation then learning those de-escalation skills all of those things go a long way to help you never or have a less likely chance of ever needing to be concerned. Hey, when do I need to get into a fight? When do I need to defend myself? And that's really ultimately our goal and the way we all should be living. Now I want to talk about the, the answers to Tony's original question. How do I know when it's time to go? Well, there are some telltale signs and I don't claim to be an expert. I'm not going to sit here and tell you of all the bar brawls uh, I have been in and all the street fights I've been in because A, I'd be lying and B, that's just not in my nature. I do much better at paying attention to my surroundings and avoiding bad, potentially bad situations. Uh, and honestly, I'm too old at this point to have my ego uh, get me into trouble. So I take that route. I'd be lying if I have some enormous amount of experience, but I have studied fighting and I've watched. I, I'm not going to brag about the number of hours because I couldn't tell you, but suffice it to say, I've watched a lot of closed circuit TV and security camera footage of altercations, both predatory and social violence. And there are some pretty telltale signs, uh, even just from a crappy camera uh, resolution, you can see uh, some of them. And so we're going to talk about a lot of these and they're not in any particular order. Uh, there's no 100 percent. Oh, that guy had his fist clenched up. He was definitely getting ready to hit me. There's none of that. There's not like, well, they've got to have three out of the 20 signs and then, you know, or it's just one or it's got to be all of them. It, it doesn't work like that. It could very well be all of them or it could just be one of them. There's no way to know until you're in that situation and you're paying attention well enough because that's part of the situational awareness, too, is when you do find somebody in your personal space or near your personal space, all those other things we just talked about, likely one or more of them has been failure, right? Something's gone wrong. 
But now that they've got your attention because they're in front of you in your personal space or near your personal space and personal space, depending on culture is anywhere from two to 10 feet. Right. But for me, I know anything inside the three foot mark, give or take, maybe even the four foot mark, you, you don't need to be there. So you know what your personal space is. You know, there's a whole lot of things like we've just talked about to go wrong to find yourself in that situation. But now that they are in your space, now you definitely need to be t- paying attention to what they're doing. You also need to be paying attention to your surroundings to make sure they don't have buddies waiting over behind you to try to ambush you or the person that is in your personal space is setting running interference so your buddies can get you from behind now you really need to be paying attention so that notion of you know just pay attention what's going on around you never really goes away and so some of the signs that you'll see and again these are in no particular order and one or more of them may or may not happen or maybe if someone's really cool about stuff they might be able to get the drop on you and never see it coming but i suspect and again based on a lot of the studies that i've done watching the video footage that i have generally there's always something that gives it away you just may not be paying attention to it so let's talk about those i'll shut up so we can talk about them so pupil dilation might be one people get stressed out people get upset they might be hopped up on drugs too right pimple pupil dilation is one they've got to be pretty close up on you for you to be paying attention but that's one when we talk about eyes there's all kinds of things that could be going on with the eyes Uh, A person that has you uh, targeted, so to speak, if they want something on your person like your smartphone or your purse, they might be staring pretty hard at that object that you have on your person. They, They are focused on that target. Or if you're their target, which for some predatory predatory hunters out there, you are the target. Uh, they might be giving you the dead stare. They might be staring right through you. You've heard of the thousand mile. I mean, the thousand yard stare, right? It just cuts right through you. Uh, it's like you're not even there, but they are intently focused and it's a good chance that something's coming. Another thing that is kind of body language and eyes, I'll go ahead and classify it in with lump it in with the eyes uh, observations is that in a lot of cases, and I, I'd say in most of the cases for me, uh, the bad guy will have a tendency to glance around before they attack. And this is to make sure no one's around or looking at them. Right. And I, and I won't say all the time, but I, I feel like the majority of the time, this is always happening. And it's usually right before the attack goes down. Uh, so you definitely want to be watching for them to be kind of cutting their eyes around and turning their heads and looking around at the environment because that's exactly what they're doing is checking because we know bad guys don't want an audience, right? Don't like an audience and don't want to be seen. Hands could be clenched. Jaws could be clenched. You know, when people are angry, especially their lips will furl. They'll get that real serious, tight-lipped look about them. They'll clench their jaws. You'll see their jaw muscles flex. Their eyes will, will will furrow, right? You know they'll get the they'll get the angry eyebrow thing going on. All of these things again could be leading towards an attack, right? Again, nothing's imminent. I'm not saying that. These are just signs to look for. 
to better be able to judge what you need to be doing. And again, your goal should be to try to get out of there, but there might be circumstances that you can't, right? So that's what we're dealing with. Uh, another one might be uh, shoulders and general body leaning forward, like maybe over the toes or past, you know, us guys, I guess, part of bowing up on someone, you know, right? We try to make ourselves bigger. We, we show an aggressive stance, and one of the ways that can be done is a forward lean. Um, I can tell you also that most street fights that I've watched, the individual that's about to attack generally blades their body. Uh, usually that means the dominant foot going back and the uh, support foots forward, you know, kind of getting that bladed angle. A lot of martial arts have that as part of their stance, right? Dominant foot, dominant leg goes back, strong attacking, you know, more momentum to drive kicks, more uh, grounding to drive stronger punches, whatever it is, they'll blade their bodies. They're leaning forward. They got their fish clenched. Their lips are furled. Um, blood rate, you know, heart rate obviously goes up. If you're lucky and paying attention, you might see veins popping out in their forehead uh, or in their neck and actually see their pulse, right? You have to be, again, paying attention. The lighting's got to be just right. You may or may not see this, but you can bet that they're, uh, unless they are uh, special uh, and, and the ability to keep themselves cool, again, their heart rate's likely going to be going up. An obvious one, right? They might be turning red in anger. They might be yelling and cursing at you like crazy. It's important, again, part of that keeping that ego in check is important not to respond in kind, right? This goes to the we're still working to de-escalate the situation. We've got to keep ourselves cool. we got to keep the hot heads cool and the egos in check, right? And so we don't want to respond in kind when they're spitting venom and vile at us and cursing and calling our mom's name. You know, this is this is just tactic, right? And they are angry, and that's a very obvious way to tell. Um, it may not be the best way to know that they're getting ready to hit you in that moment. Some of these other body language and body uh, things that are happening with the body that we're talking about are probably better indicators, but I'm just saying this is a more obvious one. If their hands are hidden, this is why cops insist upon people getting their hands in plain sight, putting them up on the steering wheel if they're in the car, if they're standing in front of them, making them take their hands out of the pocket. Hands, hidden hands are never a good sign. Why? What are they doing with their hands? What are they getting with their hands? What is already in their hands? You don't know if their hands are hidden. So, Things that you want to be particularly careful of is noticing if their hands are in their jacket pockets, their hoodie, you know, how they have the solid pass-through pocket, I call it, in the front, whether both their hands are in there. They're reaching into the waistband of their jeans. Their hands are going into their pockets. Worse yet, their hands are going behind them. Are they getting the phone out of their back pocket or are they pulling a knife? Do they have a gun back there in their waistband? You don't know. That is something you've got to be careful of. And I'm going to piggyback on something specific that you definitely need to likely either take action. And again, I'm not telling you what to do. Only you can decide what you can, what you're going to do in that moment. I'm just giving you some telltale signs so you're that you're aware. And I encourage you to go look these up for yourself so you become more familiar with them. 
But while we're on the subject of hidden hands or hiding hands or hands moving to hiding places, as I would say, you know, moving to those pockets, moving back behind the back, whatever it is, if you see a hand go to the hip or back behind or anywhere really, and that elbow goes up on that same arm, you probably can assume there's a weapon coming out. Now, is that a telltale sign for sure? Nope, because maybe they're just pulling the smartphone out of their back pocket. But I'm just pointing out that an elbow up is a pretty serious sign. And you want to be noting that and paying real close attention because there could be the blade or the weapon of some sort coming out next after that. They also may be sweating profusely too, right? They're angry, they're upset, their adrenaline's pumping, they've had an adrenaline dump, you know, they might be sweating. They may not be able to stay cool, right? So the other thing that you might notice is a lack of breathing uh, in fight situations, intense situations. Uh, you hold your breath. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Not that I'm an expert, but <laughs> they. I remember... In my early days of lifting weights, I'd have a tendency when I was on the bench press trying to throw up some serious weight for myself anyway. Um, you know, you have a tendency to hold your breath, right? And they say, breathe, man, breathe. If you've ever been to the gym and lifted weights, you've probably had someone tell you to breathe more than one occasion. Different circumstances, obviously, but something similar like that. When you're tensed up, you might have a tendency to hold your breath. So there might, and again, these are things that you've got to be paying really close attention to, uh, to notice. But there are some things that are telltale signs of something that could be going down or getting ready to happen. Uh, we've talked about this already, but. If you're face-to-face with an individual and you've got a gut instinct that this really isn't an argument or this argument isn't going away, you're doing your best to de-escalate it and you feel like in your gut, your instinct is telling you it ain't happening, I need to get out of here, again, you need to be listening to your intuition. It's there for a reason. Listen to it and get the heck out of there. And again, we should be paying attention to our surroundings, A, to see if there's accomplices, but also to be planning an exit route. Like, yeah, you could just start running, but it might be into a dark alley that dead ends into another building, right? We need to be aware enough of our surroundings to have a, an exit route, an exit plan, if nothing else. Talking about the hands again, another sign besides just um, hiding hands is if they start putting away keys or phones into their pocket, you know, they're empty in their hands, meaning they might be empty in their hands. So they got fists ready to go putting away, you know, whatever it is they have in their hands, which today is likely going to be keys or a phone, you know, that might be a sign that you need to be paying attention to for sure. So all of these are potentially indicators that things are about to go sideways from a physical encounter perspective. And again, we're not telling you when to do it. We're not saying it because, again, it depends, right? There's never going to be a 100% answer to everything. It's not going to happen one, two, three. Only you can decide, and you're responsible for you. All we're doing here is talking about all the different things that may or may not be happening that could be indicators that something's about to happen. And you need to consider whether you want to be the first one to hit or that's your cue to get out. 
And honestly, I'd probably be looking to get out long before a lot of that, but you know what I'm saying. So we're just simply giving you some indicators and some cues to look for and for you to be paying attention to. So this last little bit, I want to talk to you about aftermath. If it's a situation where you think you need to, you should likely call 911, especially if you've been attacked. And of course, the first thing you do with 911 is give them your location. Yeah, they've got triangulation capabilities, but they're not always pinpoint accurate. So when you call, and this is true of any time you call 911, you just want to be in the habit of giving them the address and or at least the road landmark and the crossroads where you're at, whatever it is, you need to give that 911 first and then uh, give them the story later. I would, and again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not trying to give you legal advice, but I would refrain from starting to tell your story to 911 or even after first responders show up on the, on the scene. If it's a true self-defense scenario for yourself and, and the police do get involved, do yourself a favor and keep your mouth shut. Um, I'm not going to say that's legal advice, but that's probably sound advice. Look, if law enforcement gets involved with altercations or shooting or whatever, they give their own 24 to 48 hours in time to talk to their lawyers, you know, internal, you know, whatever it is that they do, they give their own time. Right. And so, you know, the human mind's amazing. You'll start telling your story and you may or may not be telling that story accurately. You just think you are in that moment in time. And right after it's happened with your adrenaline dumped and your stressors up and you still hot and probably, you know, high on that adrenaline, you may not be able to tell the story exactly how it happened or get your details exactly right. You want to respectfully ask uh, law enforcement to give you 24, 48 hours time to talk to your lawyer if need be. Whatever the case, my point is, is that you might be better off. Now, law enforcement's going to tell you otherwise, and they're going to want you to cooperate with them. And you let them know that you definitely plan to cooperate. You just need some time to get your ducks in a row and whatever else you need to be doing. That would be my take on it. But again, you're responsible with you and for you and have to make the right decisions for yourself in that moment in time. I would just recommend avoiding the story. Um, in addition to that, if the person's been hurt that you've been in an altercation with or if you've inflicted um, damage to them, especially if it goes to, you know, tools, let's say like a gunshot. It wouldn't be a bad idea if you know how to render them aid. Um, a, it's the human thing to do, and B, it makes things look better for you potentially should things go to trial and not look good for you, right? So render that aid if, if no other reason. It might help you, but for no other reason than just it's the human it's the right thing to do. And I mean, you know, if things have gotten to the point where gunfire is involved, you might be the one hurt. But uh, just something to consider. Again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you some things to consider. And I also want to talk about, and I don't know why I bring this up in the context of aftermath, but you need to be prepared to have to face this situation, not just from a, an emotional perspective, because you just got through something or maybe nearly got through something, almost didn't, whatever it is, it's very, emo it's, it takes a toll emotionally 
on you, certainly, but there's also likely a legal aspect. So I recommend that you go out and do some studies on legalities of self-defense, what you can and can't do for your area, your state. And I'm not going to give legal advice. I'm just going to tell you um, a couple of things that you need to think about ahead of time so that you're just kind of processing uh, the way that they look at self-defense. And again, I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even pretend to be. But I think this is important because, uh, you know, for guys, especially going back to the ego thing or anybody, right? It's, uh, well, I just see red when I get angry and I don't need any physical training because I'm just going to go to work. I see red. Nothing's going to stop me. Okay. Well, when it comes to using self-defense, first of all, self-defense is a legal term. So things are already in a rough spot when you have to use that terminology in the first place. And then there's a little something called the reasonable man doctrine um, that's used substantially in court systems when defending self-defense. And you might hear it as reasonable person uh, just to be a little more PC, I suppose. But it's it's referred to as the reasonable man doctrine or the reasonable person. And basically what that is, is everything is looked at from the viewpoint of, okay, would someone else, a reasonable person, would someone else, given the exact same circumstances that you've presented for your case, would they have done it the same way? Would they see you having done what you did as being the way it needed to be handled? So uh, there's always exceptions to some of these, but uh, just some things for you to keep in mind if you're going to use self-defense as your argument. And again, it's going to get put through the reasonable person ringer uh, (laughs) probably 100% of the time. But uh, there are some exceptions to a few of these, but just just four points that you need to think about when using self-defense as your argument. Were you confronted by an unprovoked attack? In other words, you weren't the shitster. You weren't the instigator. Uh, was it an unprovoked attack? Uh, can you prove that the threat of serious injury or death was imminent? Can you prove that the degree of force used was objectively reasonable. Again, there's a lot of reasonable viewpoints of this stuff, right? So did you use appropriate level of force? In other words, if someone slaps you across the face at the gas station, you can't pull out your concealed carry and shoot them in the head. Pretty much guarantee that's going to be an automatic go to jail ticket for you. So was the degree of force reasonable? And you know, there's there's exceptions to disparity in force. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Again, I'm telling you this just to encourage you to go and look up more because there are exceptions. There are angles. There's a lot of examples out there for you to mull over and kind of wrap your head around. But the um, the last one, the fourth one is, did you have an objectively reasonable fear that you were going to suffer serious injury? or be killed unless you did self-defense for yourself. So that kind of ties back into uh, was injury or death imminent. 
but did you have objectively reasonable fear that serious injury or death was going to occur and therefore you needed to defend yourself? Now, I will also tell you that this old thing that I hear guys citing all the time is, all I got to say, man, is I feared for my life. I feared for my life. That's all I had to do, man. I feared for my life. So I shot him, right? Or whatever it is. I shot him to stop the threat, you know, whatever. I feared for my life. That in and of itself is not an argument that's going to hold any water in court. Yes, there's a lot more facets to it than that that can be brought out and built upon. But the the notion, just get it out of your head right now. You can't simply say, I fear for my life. That, that doesn't cut it. And again, we're kind of talking about when we go to tools and not just necessarily social fights, whatever. But, you know, we, we're dealing here when we talk about how do I know when it's time to go? We're talking about social fights as well as predatory uh, situations, too, right? So it always depends. But those are the things. Um, can I prove that it, that it was unprovoked? I had nothing to do with starting this argument. That's why it's so important to keep that ego in check and uh, keep the hot temper in check, right? Uh, you don't want to be seen as the aggressor. Was the was serious injury or death imminent can i prove that and again we've we've talked about using self-defense as an argument and was the degree of force reasonable right was it a proportion you'll hear, hear the terminology proportionate uh proportional force was did the force you responded with equal what they came at you with again if they slap you in the face you can't shoot them in the head a gun shouldn't even come out until the last resort anyway and then did you have a reasonable fear that you were going to be seriously injured or killed um, unless you uh, defended yourself? And so those are just some things. I know I've kind of slaughtered all that um, probably worse than I wanted to for you, but I'm hoping that I've encouraged you or this will encourage you to go out and learn more for yourself so you kind of understand the ins and outs. But Certainly, the legal aspects comes into play. If nothing else, the perpetrator's parents will sue you in civil for civil reasons, right, in today's litigious society. So legalities have to be thought about, and it really helps if you know more ahead of time than after the fact. So with that, I want to wrap things up. I want to leave you uh, with one quote that I love, and it dates me a little bit, but this is a quote from Thornton Mellon. And uh, if you know who he is, I'm dating myself, but hopefully you will. And this is kind of my philosophy in life in general is uh, Thornton Mellon said, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. And with that, I'll leave you. Tony, thanks so much for being the inspiration for this podcast. And hopefully you guys got something out of it again this time. Go back to listen to podcasts 25, 26, and 40. Those all work very nicely with what we've talked about here today. And I appreciate you listening. If you're getting anything out of our podcast, please tell your friends and family to have a listen and give us a rating the next time you have a chance. And follow us on Instagram if you're not already. Thanks so much.